Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. I'm here to do the photocopying anytime Jonathan O'Brien requires. Where did you last use a photocopier? <laughs> I have people that do those oh, things. Oh, OK. Yeah, me. This week, we are continuing our series looking at how procurement can help drive sustainability. And we're going to look at how this changes when we get into the public sector and what procurement in the public sector needs to do differently. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. And to help us, we've got a special guest who describes himself as someone who works across multiple industries developing sustainability solutions for businesses to help them deliver real and tangible value. He has an honorary degree in architecture and building engineering and started his career as a buildings engineer working on a series of sustainable building projects. He's worked as a lead partner with Deloitte Sustainability Services, is founder of the Sustainable Business Partnership, is co-chair of the Public Sector Challenge chapter of the Sustainable Procurement Pledge in the UK and CEO of Social Value Portal with the mission to engage, enable and empower people and organisations to work together in the pursuit of social, economic and environmental well-being. Please welcome to the Procurement Show, Guy Battle. Guy, it's a delight to have you on the Procurement Show. Welcome. Great to meet you guys. First, if we're going to talk about social value, let's deal with terminology because we've been talking about sustainable procurement here on the Procurement Show. and We've done a number of episodes where we featured sustainable procurement. Yet, when we move into the public sector, here in the UK at least, then the terminology shifts all of a sudden. Suddenly we start talking about social value. Indeed, here in the UK, there is even social value legislation for public sector organisations. Let's begin. What is social value? Social value is defined by the Social Value Act or the Public Services Social Value Act 2012. And within that act, it's defined as a triple bottom line issue. So the same as sustainability. So social, economic and environmental impact is exactly how it's defined. What's important about that is that it focuses on people. It focuses on society. And that's where we kind of move away from or begin to expand the conversation from sustainable procurement into social value. And that begins to highlight the differences between the two. Is this something that's unique to the public sector or is it basically just another flavour of sustainability? I think it is another flavour. Without a shadow of a doubt. But actually, it's a really important flavour. And just to build on what I said earlier, because it's called the Social Value Act as opposed to the Sustainability Act, it kind of puts society front and centre of everything, all decision making. And that kind of makes sense because we're talking about the public sector and what's the public sector there to do. The public sector is there to serve society, to serve communities, hence the Social Value Act. So it is kind of the same thing. But with a slightly different emphasis, you know, we're talking about not just people and planet, we're talking about people, place and planet. So if we think about the drivers for this, because as you said, in the UK, at least there is legislation that's requiring public sector organisations to doing that. But if I look in the private sector and I think about the companies that I'm working with who are attempting to drive sustainable procurement, then there are various different drivers. Some it's about we've got to comply with legislation. For others, it's about how do we reduce risk here if somebody finds out the stuff that we're not happy about. And for others, they're starting to think about what do our customers want? What do our stakeholders want? Or actually, hey, we can reduce some cost here. 
but for a very small handful it's about how do we actually make the planet better how do we fix climate change how do we deal with some of the human rights issues that we know are there in terms of drivers in the commercial world we see this spread of motivations does that change in the public sector is it purely about social value or are there these similar sort of layers of motivators here it's inevitable that there are different layers of motivations dependent on where you are in an organisation. I think the starting point has to be with your note about stakeholders, who are the key stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And the key stakeholders within the public sector are plainly communities, are citizens. I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, the public sector are there to spend our money, our tax, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're expecting it to be spent wisely and for us. You know, it's our money, so let's make sure it benefits society. It's not there to benefit some other shareholder. And, of course, we as shareholders have a different view of money, different view of value, I should say, because value for us, yes, could be in saving somewhere, so a cheaper waste management system, fine, but actually we're interested in the value that it creates. So in that waste management solution, is it possible that the business winning that waste management contract can give chances or opportunities to young people who are struggling to find work and get them off our streets and solve the antisocial behaviour issue. We've got a different way, different transaction of value and social value. It's much broader. Mm -hmm. I find that when you talk to the private sector and they talk about social value or sustainability, it comes from two angles. One is the risk mitigation piece, which is all about reputational risk and making sure you're not find out. So it's anti-slavery. It's all these issues within the supply chain. And the other one is cost savings. And despite the protestations from many private sector organisations, at the end of the day, I think that the cost saving is a key driver. And whilst cost saving and financial savings is an important driver in the public sector, without a shadow of a doubt, value is more important. And when we're talking about value, we mean long-term value, we mean social, economic and environmental value Mm -hmm. in the same bucket. Data is going to be quite an important part behind all this. How can you begin to measure the social value and how can you do this within the supply base? What do you look at? How do you put a value on things to help the community or improve quality of life? How can you decide what's more important than other things? And how can I ask any more questions in one question? Mm. You've asked just one question, really, which is how do you measure social value and how do you put a number to it? That's a question we get asked all the time. It has taken me 30 years to solve it. I've been in the world of sustainability working for 30 years. Jonathan mentioned I've worked in construction for many years and we cracked the environmental piece of sustainability, carbon, waste management, water. We always spoke about the social side, but the truth is we always struggled to work out how to define it. And it wasn't until I left Deloitte in 2014, which happened to coincide with the emergence of the Social Value Act, that I started to put my mind to it and came up with a sort of methodology called the TOM system. So the TOM system stands for themes, outcomes and measures. Mm -hmm. It really was just a conversation that I had with public sector organisations, local government around the country in how they were applying the Act and asking, we've been told by the Social Value Act to embed social value into our procurement decision making, but how the hell do we decide between one bidder and the other bidder and the other bidder because it's got to be more than just subjective. And so we came up with an objective way of measuring social value that's built around five themes, those five themes being jobs and skills, 
second theme is supporting local businesses the third theme is supporting our communities the fourth theme is protecting our environment and the fifth theme is supporting social innovation within each theme we've got a series of outcomes for instance like more jobs for those folks in the job market or reduction in global warming and then we have a series of measures and every measure has a unit. So, for instance, under more jobs for disadvantaged people, we measure the number of jobs for long-term unemployed people or children coming out of care or mothers employed but unemployed having children coming back into the workforce or within the climate change one, we measure the number of tonnes of carbon saved. And then we put a value to each of those and those values are fiscal savings to the Treasury, i.e. how much money we're saving the Treasury, and then also economic benefit. And so one example on that, let's say we are under the disadvantage jobs category, giving a job to someone who's long-term unemployed. They come off benefits, so there's a direct saving to HMRC, to government, but they now have more money in their pocket to spend locally, and so there's an economic benefit as well. So we put those together and you come up with a value. So that allows you to put a value to all these social elements, these social interventions, to allow you to understand the total contribution that a contract or an organisation is making to society. It's interesting how you say that it's more than just objective, because I can imagine there are a lot of organisations that simply put a spin Mm -hmm. on what they're doing and a spin on how they tell you what they're doing versus organisations that are actually doing it. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that you'll be the first to recognise that within the world of sustainability, we're constantly fighting this danger of greenwashing, right? Mm. People pretending that they're net zero or carbon negative or whatever it is. And actually, it's just the way of words. This is a really important issue. So the numbers we use come from government. We're not making them up. We take them from published government databases. We might shift them slightly according to geography, but basically they are government numbers, so they're real savings, if you like. But the other thing that we insist on with all of our customers, and I should say that we provide an online platform to help organisations procure for social value and measure social value, we insist on evidence. So you are not allowed to make a claim unless you also provide the evidence that proves that you've delivered that. And I think that's really important. If you think about it, we're trying to make the public pound go further, which means the shareholders holding us to account are the public. Mm, And we need to be accountable to them. And if we're just pretending that big business is doing the right thing, it'll undermine everything we're doing. And before you know it, the whole pack of cards is falling down. And that plainly is not something we want to go anywhere near. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. In Switzerland, it is illegal to own or keep just one guinea pig. By law, in Switzerland, you must have at least two guinea pigs. (laughs) (coughs) I think you've gone crazy. What on earth has that got to do with procurement? Well, you, well, you've got to source them. You've got to buy the guinea pig. Okay, look, I was struggling to find a fun fact. Okay. And wh- the fact that you have to buy the guinea pig, I think that kind of counts. What if you had two and one died? Well, then you'd be breaking the law. You'd have to get out to the shops quick and buy a second guinea pig. Okay, what if one kind of escaped and you lost it in the house? I think you're overthinking this. Okay. <laughs> the Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show 
or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. If we take that one step further, I'm really impressed with how that there are ways of measuring social value. But if I think about then the suppliers who supply the companies that you're working with, who are hopefully delivering that social value, how do they begin to be able to measure what's happening in the supply base? Because clearly there's a correlation to what's happening within those suppliers, within the supply chains, and how that social value measures are delivered. In practical terms, how do you do that? Is the supply base ready to do that? Is it ready? Well, I have to say it comes a bit of a shock every now and again to the supply base inevitably because with any organisation, there'll be a whole group of suppliers that are just not ready and won't even understand the word sustainability, let alone social value. Having said that, any tier one, so that large organisation working with the public sector, now has to have a social value solution, social value offer, because the weightings that are being used in public sector procurement are no longer 5%, no longer 10%, no longer 20%. They're moving up to 30% weightings. Wow. So that basically means if you don't have a social value strategy, then you are not going to win the work with the public sector. It's kind of as simple as that. So we're seeing a transformation of the relationship between the public and the private sector, where the private sector is working with the public sector, because the expectation now in the public sector is, you want to work with us, you want to get this good money, you better tell us what else you're going to do in our communities to help us deliver our job better. Now, the thing about tier ones is that the vast majority of them employ tier twos and tier three are your supply chain. Mm-hmm. And so the tier ones are now beginning to have those conversations with all of the suppliers saying, look, we need your support. Because if you imagine a big organization, a tier one providing this is what it does, but actually the tier one only does this bit at the very top. Down here, the bottom part of that iceberg is all of the supply chain. And when it's bidding for work, it's bidding up here but it needs to capture all the value in its Mm. supply chain in that bottom part of the iceberg. And so necessarily they're having these conversations with SMEs, local businesses, social enterprises, voluntary organizations saying, we need businesses that are not only good value to us, but actually also delivering value for communities. And so that learning, that knowledge is being passed by down the supply chain. It's a long process. It's not going to happen overnight, but I can tell you now that it is transforming that relationship between the public private sector. And as a result, it is beginning to transform the private sector and how it operates and how it sees itself working in our communities. You quite rightly say it's all about value for communities and working with communities. But a little part of me does sometimes say that perhaps there's a risk that we're kidding ourselves here in that a lot of this is a nice to have ambition. You have a questionnaire and the suppliers will just tick the box to say they're doing it. You quite rightly reflected on the data that you collect. But in terms of actually how it affects the community, where's the evidence that we can drive change within our supply base that truly adds social value? If I step back to the TOMS framework, the TOMS system that I mentioned earlier, the themes, the outcomes, the measures, Mm. that in effect is our theory of change. And by that, I mean the theory is that if you do X, it will deliver Y. That's kind of the theory of change. And if you deliver Y, then the likelihood is that you're going to have a long-term impact Z on our communities. Now, it's actually quite hard to measure the Z because it's kind of further down the supply chain. But if we've done enough studies to prove that the X delivers the Y, delivers the Z, all we need to focus on is the X and the Y, because our theory of change tells us that Z 
is going to be delivered anyway, which is the broader impact to society. And so the TOMS framework is made up of the X and the Ys, effectively the input and the output that we measure. And that's where the evidence comes in. And we're really focused on collecting what an organization does and measuring what they do. So we know that if they employ five X offenders, it will benefit five families. So it cascades out. So everything comes from studies, fundamental primary studies, but we use it in a way that makes it simpler for organizations. Because otherwise, if you imagine it, every time you do an intervention, you want to say, well, has that made any difference? Three years later, you've done a study and you've worked out, oh, not that much of a difference. So that's a blimmin' waste of time, isn't it? So <laughs> you don't want to do all that each time. You want to know that what you're doing is going to make a difference. And yeah. we need to provide that shortcut. It's not perfect yeah. by any stretch of imagination, but it's a good, good start. And you're reaching out to organisations of all sizes then, I guess, because this does sound like the big boy stuff, mm. but you yeah. have... In numerous answers mentioned SMEs, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. the, and indeed, no doubt, micros as well. It's a shared goal. Absolutely. I'm an SMEs and micro. I mean, we're an SME. We're, we're just over 100 people now. And we have our own social value policy, if you like. And of course, we do social value with our customers, but that's not what counts. So we provide all our people with six days of volunteering. We have free access to the portal for voluntary organizations, a whole suite of things. And, you know, we're a small business in the community. We're just doing our thing. And why are we doing that? We're doing it because our people, our team wants us to do it and because we think it's the right thing to do. I mean, it happens we're in the social value world, but I think you'll find that many, many small, medium enterprises care about the community because they are in a community, right? That's where they're based. They have grown out of a community. They're not some big multinational with a headquarters in London, but they're all over the country, let alone all over the world. They're in Bradford and that's their home. They're employing local people from Bradford. And so a lot of SMEs are already delivering social value. They just don't realize it. Wow. Yeah, and so part of our job and part of local authorities' job is to help them understand. And something like this podcast is helping organizations understand that SMEs can do it and are doing it. And it's not that difficult. Let's just do more of it. So who's leading the way here? Is it the public sector that's leading the way and the private sector can learn from this? Or is it the other way around? I think that initially the public sector has led the way because they've put the legislation out and they've said, we've got to do this. And they've told private sector that, you know, if you don't do this, then you're not going to work with us. It's kind of like, yeah, that's a stick, right? That's a yeah. big stick. What it has said is that the carrot is, well, if you do do it, we'll give you more work. Mm. And of course, the private sector, whilst initially you might have thought, well, that's a bit of extra red tape. What you do find is that you are tapping into the natural good manner, honesty of most businesses. Most businesses are there to do good, right? They're not there to destroy our planet. They're not there to destroy the community. They're there to support community. They want to make money whilst doing it. I mean, that's what business is all about. And so once they get their head around it, the private sector then join. And we're now seeing the private sector beginning to lead and actually do a lot more than what even the public sector thought they could ask for. And so that's great to see. So inevitably, it's a partnership. So procurement is ultimately a partnership between the buyer and the supplier. And, you know, where it works well, there is no contractual argument. And, you know, the buyer gets what they want, the supplier gets what they want. And actually, the buyer gets a little bit more. And that's what we're talking about here is how do we ensure that relationship? But you don't get one without the other. 
and it's really important. Guy, are we unique with this in the UK? You've already mentioned that big public sectors have to do this here in the United Kingdom, but what about the rest of the world? Does the EU have a social value legislation throughout other member countries? Is the US doing this as well? How do other countries fare against us? But for once, we're leading the way. Oh, wow. Nice to hear it. There we go. (laughs) Good news. If you called this the Sustainability Act, then we would be way ahead of everyone, right? It just happens to be called the Social Value Act. But it is, in any other language, it's a Sustainability Act, in all honesty. Across the EU, there is permissive legislation. So organisations, buyers can ask for social, but it's not kind of driven, it's not mandated like it is in this country. But you can do it. And organisations do talk about buying social. They also talk about sustainable procurement, really meaning the environmental piece rather than the people piece. There's some interesting legislation that's just been passed in Canada around social procurement. Again, it provides permission to councils to use or to assess the social impact of a bid and not just award it based on lowest price, which is generally where most public sector authorities come from. And then if you jump to America, just by way of a contrast, you think, crikey, well, they're definitely not into it, are they? But actually, MAGA, in any other language, so make America great again, Mm -hmm. is actually all about social value. When you break MAGA down into its component parts, it's all about how do we support the American people in supporting local businesses, buying more stuff that's made in America. It's protectionism, isn't it? That's what MAGA is all about. How Um, interesting. And actually, social value is not dissimilar. Because you're incentivizing local buying, you incentivize local employment, you incentivize investment in communities. Okay, we've got a spin on it, a slightly greater spin on it in the UK and Europe around people. But nonetheless, the principles are the same. You mentioned your big stick. I mean, which country would you next hit with your big stick? Well, Canada is a really interesting place for uh-huh. us. Australia is also, I haven't mentioned it previously, but it's a really interesting and they're really beginning to think about the social side of procurement. I mean, I think what's really interesting, anywhere the public sector is spending lots of money makes sense for us to be because this is about the procurement team recognising their role as a strategic part of the business to deliver on the corporate objectives of that organization mm-hmm. because in, in the public sector any the money that comes to them 50 60 70 percent of the money goes straight out again and that is an immensely powerful tool so across the uk there's something like 200 billion pounds worth of spend by the public sector in the private sector now that is a big carrot it's a big stick right and so you can do that across europe you could do it across the world and we're talking trillions worldwide So, you know, that's the place we're playing, if you like. It's time to Ask Jonathan. And this Ask Jonathan is from Fabio Silva in Barcelona. He writes, Dear Jonathan, Mm -hmm. Yes? I've read your book on category management, which I found really helpful. Thank you. How much did you pay him to write that? (laughs) I I just like how we choose the ones that start off with a compliment. That's okay then. But the more important thing is he says he works for a small company in Spain. The buying is not so good. Your book talks a lot about category management in big companies. But can category management be applied to a small business also. I've read your book Mm -hmm. and I'm going to say the answer would probably be yes. So it's a really great question. And the answer is some 
aspects of it can. Oh, okay. However, for category management to be effective, it assumes a certain sort of scale because we're looking at a category of products and services and we're looking at a category of things that are sourced from one marketplace. So for many of the things that we do in category management to be successful, we need to have some leverage, we need to have some scale, some power within that particular marketplace. Could you give us an example? If we think about the portfolio analysis module or the Crowdjet matrix, which is one of the key tools that we use in category management, although a lot of people misapply this model, but if we go back to Crowdjet's original work back in the early 80s, then part of the step of classifying our categories according to how difficult a marketplace is and also the degree of profit impact it can have on the organisation, often just thought of as a spend, but it's profit impact. Then if we have a marketplace that's easy with this big potential to impact profit, you know, that's traditionally a leverage category. In other words, we have power, we can go to that marketplace, we can run competitive processes and we can secure the right deal for us. So that would be our sourcing strategy, one of a number. But that assumes that we've got some standing in that marketplace. One of the things that Kraljic said in his work is that you need to also consider our overall strength of position. So if we're a really small company, let's just imagine we're a small shop and the main area of things that we buy would sit in the leverage quadrant. In other words, in theory, we have leverage, but actually we only buy maybe 5,000 euros worth of it per annum. We don't have any leverage. You know, the prices Hmm. we pay will be dictated by the marketplace. Maybe we can negotiate a little bit here and there, but we have no leverage. So the strength of our position is diluted. So actually category management doesn't really scale down when we're a small business with a low spend. We need to have a good spend. We need to have good power in the marketplace for many of the principles of it to apply. That said, all of these tools still work. They work to understand our power position. They work to understand what we might do to better engage with the suppliers. And they work to give us insight. So in terms of buying better, category management and following the process will help you do that. But it won't deliver the sort of leverage and breakthrough that it typically delivers in big organisations. Thank you. Good answer. The Procurement Show is listened to by individuals all around the world from every type of industry and from pretty much every size of organisation. So no matter what the question is, whether you think it's a complex one or a simple one that perhaps you, you know, a bit shy about asking elsewhere, here's how to get in touch. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. Let's just talk about time horizons here. If we look historically, then in the UK, in the US, many parts of Europe, then business decisions have all been based around a pretty short-term horizon. You know, short-term payback and short-term investments and so on. But if we look in other parts of the world, then they play much, much longer game and think about the impact of that business decision, perhaps on society, on the environment and on other factors as well. So would you say that certainly in the UK, US and Europe, the social values driving a new time horizon where instead of just the commercial impacts, we're looking more at the long-term impact and the long-term return to society? Yes, I would. Okay, well, that's the answer to that <laughs> question. That. We can move I mean, on. It is, it is, it's a big shift, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because getting organisations to think long-term. Where there's a challenge, actually, as soon as you put this into our members, into our elected officials, you need it out of their hands because they have an automatic time horizon of four years, right? Because mm-hmm. that's when they're elected. 
But, you know, the most of the public sector, without a shadow of a doubt, are thinking long term because they're trying to get the best value for. Having said that, you know, our public sector is not exactly flush with resources. It also has to be smart with how it's spent its money. So there's this term most advantageous tender or most advantageous sort of bid is what it's all about. And that advantageous bit is defined as social economic environment long term. That's how it is changing. So, yes, I think it is shifting and it's about time it's shifted. I'm still thinking back to how you mentioned earlier that this is everyone's responsibility. But I'm just trying to think of some practical concepts here because big companies have to do this. What if you are a supplier to a small company, perhaps a supplier? to a supplier to you know how these things go in the public sector could you give us some examples of how the smaller size at the end of the spectrum can begin to drive social value let's assume it's a business that's turning over half a million pounds or something like that let's say not a big number perhaps two hundred fifty thousand pounds a small business anyway is it employing local people you know, does it have a strategy to employ local people? Probably yes. That's what we ought to be thinking about. Does it have a training scheme or does it think about having an apprentice? Social value, right? What about the people in the business? Do the business owners or team leaders allow their colleagues to volunteer in schools with, I don't know, helping with lessons or reading lessons or whatever it might be? This is all social value. Do they collect food parcels for the local food bank? Yeah, probably. And why wouldn't they? Do they then, when their computers are beyond the working life for the company after two or three years, are they willing to allow those computers to be recycled into charities or organisations that can? This is all social value, right? So this is all stuff that's whether you're big or small, and actually it's a lot easier to do it if you're small. You quite rightly said earlier that, and these examples prove it, a lot of organisations are actually doing it already. Do we, therefore, as business owners, perhaps need to take a bit of time out and do some kind of little audit? And what do you do with that little internal audit in order to express your social value to That's, those yeah. people who no, are interested? I think exactly what we should have. Now you mentioned it, I hadn't thought about that, but what a good idea. Yeah. So, yes, I think they should download the TOMS from uh-huh. our website. And effectively, that is going back to your slightly facetious remark slightly earlier about being a tick box it is a checklist okay uh-huh. <laughs> i can't well, get away from that well you know that yeah. you still need life is made up on checklists absolutely yeah. every weekend yeah. when i go shopping you know i need my <laughs> I, I, I do I that. get into trouble right yeah. so i have to buy my olive oil or i'm anyway the point is go down the checklist we've got 40 odd measures in that checklist you will not be able to do everything if you come up with five to ten things, you know what? We're already doing that. Or why don't we do that? Yeah. That or you then ask your colleagues, look at this list. Do you want to do anything, you know, on it? That is what we should be doing. And whether or not you report or not is neither here nor there. But if you just get on and do it. And if you're then bidding for work, if you're an SME bidding for work with a big tier one who then is trying to win work to build a public highway, well, you should be telling them about all your social value because they're more likely to use you mm-hmm. as a supplier than they are another supplier who doesn't do that stuff. So I'll audit you. Yes. yes. <clears throat> you can audit me. Brilliant. We'll have an auditing party. Forward. Yes. That sounds like a lot of fun. So we live in a world that's based on financial measures. Pretty much everything in business Mm. is based on financial measures or financial assets being used as the primary measure of business performance. It kind of feels like we're witnessing the emergence of a new economic model here and that social value is perhaps part of that, where 
companies regard people and the planet as valuable assets along with the profit that it makes. Do you think that's fair? Is that what's happening? I do. Just one of the influences that we're seeing or the pressures we're seeing coming down the line is from investors who are saying to a lot of our customers, which is why they're coming to us, look, we obviously want to make money out of you. That's why we're investing into you. But we want to understand what impact you're having on society. Tell us about your social impact on society. And we want to know your social return on our investment. So what do we get for investing into you above and beyond a good earnings ratio? Fine. We want a social earnings ratio. Mm -hmm. We want to get a social return on our investment. I wouldn't say I can see the green shoots of the revolution Jonathan, it's not quite with us on that side of things, but it is definitely coming. And the larger pension funds are beginning to ask these serious questions. They call it ESG, by the way. Yeah. So we spoke about sustainability earlier and sustainable procurement and then social value procurement. If you work in the world of the investor community, it's all about ESG, environmental, social governance, which again is sort of the same thing. And so we are. So I think it is now about that transformation and that change in the conversation and the language. So it's not just about a monetary turn. It's about a return to people, place and planet. And I keep emphasizing that because it's not just about people and planet. It's also about the place where we all live and work. Okay, wow. It's all good for business, actually, at the end of the day as well. A lot of the conversation has been talking about this within the context of the supply chain, but also we mustn't forget that actually consumers like to buy from organisations that are engaging with their community. It just makes common sense. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier on about all the different drivers, and we didn't really mention consumers, but consumers care. It does matter to them about where to buy their things from. They want to know that the business they're buying from actually cares about the community where they are probably living, right? So that's mm-hmm. closes the circle. We know you're a fan of olive oil because you mentioned yep. it just now. Guy, you're a bit of a chef. Well, I- funny enough, I do enjoy. I would quiver if I was asked to go on to MasterChef. So I'm not that level, but I do like relaxing in the kitchen. This We're not going to get takeaways yeah. here. But if I had to twist your arm <laughs> and say, you need to choose and give us three takeaways, what are your three from today's conversation, please? My first takeaway is think beyond risk and environmental sustainability and consider the social, the community contribution that you're making to people, place and planet. The second one is where you are a big business, or in fact, any business making a procurement decision, for goodness sake, include social value, the broader social value in that decision making. Don't just do it on cost. Don't just do it on whether or not an organization has a policy around anti-slavery. Someone should not get rewarded for having an anti-slavery policy. They don't need a pat on the back because, for goodness sakes, it's a legal requirement. What you want to be asking is, what are you doing to ensure that slavery doesn't happen anywhere? What additional value are you creating through your decision making? Remembering that every procurement officer has the power of their money and how they spend it to drive change through their whole supply chain. So that was rather long second one. And the third one is transparency. Hold yourself to account and set targets. As a business, we have declared that between now and the end of 2025, we are going to unlock with our customers £100 billion worth of social value. We've won 17 so far. 
but we've made that declaration. Every business should be thinking about how it's going to deliver social value, however it wants to measure it. But let's be bold and transparent about how we're doing that. Guy Battle, thank you so much for joining us on The Procurement Show. It has been a pleasure to have you on, and we've learned a lot about social value. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.